see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, what's up, Rangers fans? Welcome back for another episode here at Rangers Review. Uh, What an eventful week this was, past three games in particular for the Rangers, because our last segment, we stopped right around the first of two games against the Capitals again. So overall, a strong week, and I do believe that you were correct with your predictions, or at least close to. I felt that you were optimistic. If we go back, I think you said two and one. But before we get into anything today, Rangers fans, I hope you all have had a happy Easter or whatever holiday you may be celebrating um, today at the time recording this. If it does come out, then great. If it comes out the following day, then happy Blade Easter. But outside all that, Stephen, how are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty well. And, and, you know, for me, it will still be Easter tomorrow because in most European countries, we have what we call first Easter day and second Easter day, Sunday, Sunday and the Monday. Interesting. I don't know. Is that a thing in, in America, too, where this, the Monday after Easter is like a day off? Um, well, it could definitely be a day off. Yeah. So, um it's hard for me to read just because it's not like I'm going into work or class tomorrow. So like, yeah, I honestly don't know off the top of my head, but I, I very, I feel that is very much the case in certain areas, just probably not for everywhere. But, yeah. But it's uh, it was an, it was an interesting week. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. Two, one and oh, who would have thought or two, oh, and one. Two on one. Yeah, I believe. Actually, I think we were both wrong with predictions. Again, I'm probably getting confused because we do these I, each week. Uh, you need you need to write it down, and then I do need then, to write it down. I, I'm being too lazy leave now. The post on your desk. But I think, if my memory's not mistaken, I think I was was I one one and one or two and one. Either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't. doesn't. It's not that important. It's not like we're playing for something. Exactly. It's just, it's fun when you're right every once in a while doing it. But again, a very eventful week for the Rangers indeed. And I must say, you know, we have to just start off this episode before we even get into the recaps by just giving credit where credit's due. And I think that David Quinn is definitely deserving of gaining some credit here. So let's just kind of do a little, just quick summary on it in a nutshell before we do the game recaps of, you know, we've been harping on Quinn a lot basically the entire season, but especially the past month plus. When Knobloch came in, it seemed like a brush of fresh, uh, fresh air to the players. And you could tell that in their performance for sure. When they were losing, it really didn't feel like that they actually lost. Like these were all games that they were deserving to win. And they didn't really have their, hang heading de- um, their head hanging down when they lost. You know, they seemed like they, that they were in fact doing a solid job. And when you score, you know, multiple games, gain nine and eight goals against the Flyers, it's always a great thing too. So mm-hmm. um, since then, however, since Quinn has been back, this team has looked really more so in sync like during Knobloch's time. It hasn't been the exact same, but you have the biggest thing that I think we have pointed out is the lineup construction. The biggest gripe that I've had all season long, outside of numerous things that have bothered me with this current coaching staff, is the lack of having chemistry and comfortability with these lines and actually building these players' relationships, which are naturally going to help them perform. What have we seen this past week? We saw some toying with, I believe, in the second period of one of these games. But for the most part, these lines have been rolling out the same each and every period. And that's really important to me because while ice time, we can definitely give a gripe about that uh, power play construction, how that's still looking, and even utilization when we get into overtime. All those things we can definitely nitpick for sure as fans. But give credit where credit's due. He has actually been very stable with the lines. And that's probably been the biggest issue for this club this year, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, as you know, and as the viewers and listeners know, 
I've been harping on this for the last couple of weeks, where the Noblog era, as short-lived as it was for only a week or two, has really highlighted some of the flaws in uh, maybe not Quinn's coaching, but in the way this team was coached. I think it goes a little bit further than just David Quinn, but as the head coach, he is responsible. So, um, And yeah, with Noblog behind the bench, Quinn was still responsible. It was still him deciding who plays. He still made the lineups. Um, but there was still a difference. You know, who, whoever is behind the bench makes a difference. And I gave this example a couple of weeks ago, and I gave this example again on Twitter this week. <laughs> when I go on vacation, my team reports to someone else, to my temporary replacement for two weeks. Even though I'm still in charge, it changes how they perceive their instructions, how they perceive what they are told to do. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with David Quinn. It's just that it's a different person and people respond differently to different people. So despite Quinn being in charge, what happened on the Noblock was something, it highlighted something. And for me, the biggest takeaway from that two weeks with Noblock behind the bench was how fresh the players looked, how full of confidence they were because they weren't being demoted after they made an, uh, uh, um, a high-risk play. The micromanaging no, wasn't nearly as relevant. Exactly, exactly. And I have to give credit to Quinn for changing that. I've noticed this in the last couple of games. And people say, oh, it's easier when you're, when you're, when you're uh, ahead or where you're leading in the game. That might be true. But in the past, David Quinn was tinkering with the lines, even if we were up two or three goals. So that's not a reason. Uh, the reason was that Quinn uh, was just so eager to try and spark something every time something happened, whether we conceded a goal. I remember David Pasternak scoring from the blue line, which was a fluke goal. Nobody did anything wrong there. It was just screened well, and the puck went in. And immediately we saw people being demoted to the fourth line and other like fourth line players being promoted to the second or third line. And it didn't make sense to me, but the last couple of games have been refreshing. When I watch the Rangers play in the third period and I see the exact same third line and the exact same fourth line on the ice, that makes me happy. Yes. It's not perfect. You know, we can argue about the actual time on ice that could be a little bit more balanced, but I will take the wins where I can get them. And this is a huge, uh, a huge improvement for me because I, I think more important than ice time is having the same line mates when you go out on the ice because that's how you develop chemistry. That's how you develop uh, certain plays. That's how you develop confidence by being on the ice with the same players. You see it with Capo Caco. He's on the ice now with Panarin and Strom. And regardless of the fact that Panarin and Strom are better than Hedl and Lafreniere, it's the fact that he's playing with the same two players every time he steps on the ice. Mm-hmm. And that breeds some confidence. You know, he knows what to expect from his line mates because they're always out there together. And uh, we also need to understand that after the team has a power play or after the team has a penalty kill, you will see some different combinations. Like yesterday, we had a power play where Panarin scored, by the way, his first goal, amazing awareness to see Ulmark Ulmark down and not hesitate and just shoot the puck. after that power play, you saw a line of Philip Hedl, Kapo Kako, and um, Pavel Buchnevich. 
And the reason Butchnevich and Kako played with Hedl for a shift is because their two line mates, in both cases, Kreider is a manager for Butchnevich, yeah, yeah. and Panarin and Strom for Kako were on that power play. So you have to sort of balance it a little bit so that when Kako and Butchnevich go to the bench after 45 minutes to or 45 seconds to a minute, they can go out there on the ice with their line mates again. So you will see this discrepancy, if you will, after special teams. But as the game progresses and when you have like six, seven, eight, nine minutes of continuous five-on-five play, I didn't see any tinkering with the lines. And it, it, the way to sum it up is that David Quinn has put the blender away. And that is a huge win for this team. And yeah, okay, I hope we, we will maybe work on the time on ice a little bit, you know, when – if we have a game where we are up four goals, that we give a little bit more minutes to the to the third and fourth line because you have that that buffer then in the score line. But having them play with the exact same line mates, I think, is a, is a really good is a really good signal of what's what has changed uh, since Quinn came back from COVID. Um, the other thing I'm really happy about is that when Kravtsov came into the lineup yesterday, that it was Phil DiGiuseppe coming out of the lineup. This is nothing against Phil DiGiuseppe, but I think he was the logical choice to take out of the lineup after what happened in the last couple of games. DiGiuseppe was on the COVID list. He battled COVID, and you could tell that he wasn't really 100%. You know, he had a a bad penalty in the first game against Buffalo at the end of the second period, I I believe, Um, or at the end of the first. It was at the end of one of the periods. Yeah. Yeah. and it was a bad penalty. And, and that's when I knew, okay, if Kravtsov is playing on Saturday, it should be DiGiuseppe coming out of the lineup. Also because Julian Gauthier, since he came back from being a healthy scratch, has been a completely different player. You know, he's been a, a net positive. He's drawing penalties. He's creating scoring opportunities. It was only fair to for Gauthier to stay in the lineup. And then Kravtsov comes in, plays 10 minutes, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before, before we even get there, I just want to backtrack a little bit on the no, game. No, no, no. Okay, I, so, want to, I want us to do a full deep dive kind of on no, no, but let me quickly Let me quickly finish this. Okay, okay. And then we'll go into the whole Kravtsov thing. But Kravtsov sure. comes in, plays 10 minutes, like on the third line, decent. And the lines we ended the, the, the week with, I think should be the lines moving forward. I think there's, <laughs> there's a good balance in the first line, the second line, the third line, the fourth line. Um, and unless we have some suspensions or maybe injuries, I would like to see how this team can progress with the current line, lineups uh, up front. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's a perfect segue now, gain into just the quick game recap, guys. So as we touch on a little bit already, but yeah, Kratzov, we're going to talk on plenty here shortly because I have a lot to say about him. But going back to game 35 for the Rangers against the Capitals, monster win for the Rangers. Igor Shosturkin played on his head. He played on his head all week, might I add, and we'll get to him here shortly. But the Rangers win 5-2, Artemi Panarin, after having somewhat of a cold week while Zvanjad was so hot, now it's looking a little different. It's like, I want to see these both balance together, but Breadman had a three-point game, was fantastic. He's just been lights out all year long. Currently on the season has 36 points and 36, uh, 26 games, I believe. So 10 points over the amount of games he's played. Capo Caco had a beautiful goal as well, gained his fifth of the season. 
Adam Fox, a goal, and then Buchnevich. And those guys were the main contributors uh, by far in that game. Just overall fantastic performance by the Rangers. Did not let the Capitals really get too much light of day and actually gain some key scoring chances. So I loved what I saw that, and Igor played on his head. So that's great. But then when you get into game 36, the Rangers and Sabres, that one was a little bit of a frustrating one just because it felt like that game should have been closed out. So Rangers, again, absolutely dominated the Sabres that entire game. They 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 over-doubled them in shots, it would seem. It was ridiculous. And they had a fantastic performance, too. Redman continued to stay hot in that game in particular and would continue that all throughout the week. Um even though the he had only one assist. But Blackwell got on the score sheet again for the Rangers, which was all, always great to see. And then Philip Heedle, Heedle gained his seventh goal of the year. A nice little chip right over. It almost looked like the defender because there was a little scrum in front of the net. And then he just picked the corner in the left side perfectly to get through. And then that ended up being the second goal for the Rangers. But then, unfortunately, Tage Thompson, who would end up being an issue for the Rangers this past week, scores in the last minute of the game as the Rangers were so close to closing this one out. It gets past Igor. He was he was screened. He couldn't see it. It was something that I wish he could have had because it didn't seem like he had too heavy of a screen in front of him. By the end of the day, it didn't seem like he saw the puck. So then they go to overtime, and Mika's Banjad scores on an over on a one-timer from Panarin on the two-on-one, and they were dead. That was definitely towards the end of their shift. So there wasn't a whole lot going right in the dying um, really um, minute or so, I believe, of overtime. So Zibanejad scores on the one tee from a beautiful pass from Panarin on the saucer, and then that wins it. And now we get to our past game, which was just last night at the time of recording this. So probably two days for when you guys see this is going to be the Sabres again. Another strong game by the Rangers. It was definitely a little bit more level-headed from the Sabres and the Rangers side of things. Uh, Rangers continued to actually um, press it and got really close to winning this one again. Philip Heedle with another goal. Um, Heedle has really stood out. Um, pardon me, Heedle didn't have a goal. He had a goal on the Capitals and the Sabres game. But this one, Panarin, was the entire game by far. Two goals, beautiful goals, just beautiful setups, everything about him. And Foxy continues to look fantastic. On the second goal for Panarin, which was in the left dot, Fox with a beautiful cross-ice pass there in the offensive zone, which we have seen more and more this past couple of weeks as he is starting to get up there in the point column for the Rangers, not just looking like a star defensively. Um, but awesome stuff there. But Victor Olsen scores um, in the third period for the Sabres, and they had overtime. Overtime, we can definitely gripe about a little bit just because of the amount of time that was given to guys versus not given to others. Then they go to the shootout, and then the Sabres end up winning it. So all in all, the Rangers have a positive week, 2-1 and one in the process. The three top scorers this past week for the Rangers were Artemi Panarin, who is just lights out. You know, when you think of the best actual acquisitions the Rangers have had uh, for this club through free agency or at least through some type of deal, you know, outside of Messier and some others, Panarin definitely looks like the best since Yager. And there's a lot of arguments to say who has been the better player through their first couple of years with the Rangers. Yager was lights out on a team where there was really no other help around him. And Panarin is kind of similar, at least for his first year. It just He's been just phenomenal since day one, and he's not skipping a beat. So I'm obsessed with him. We all are by now, Breadman. But he led the team with seven points the past three games. Then Adam Fox had four points the past three, coming off of a phenomenal week, being first star of the week in the NHL with awesome performances with his points still. And then Stroman Heedle tied for the third spot with two points apiece. So um, what's your initial stance on just the overall past week of games for the Rangers, if you want to expand on anything further? And Igor as well went 2-1 and one this past week, played all games at a save percentage of 928. Really still on his head. I can't complain about Igor really one bit. Um, I think, unfortunately, the injury is going to cost Igor Shashjorkin the caller this season. Um mm-hmm. 
if he has played the entire season, he's up there in the conversation with Kirill Kaprizov. Um, he's he's one of the best young goalies in the world, maybe even the best uh, age 25 and under. Um, but yeah, Panarin, I mean, what can we say about Panarin? Um, he has played 95 games now, I think. Um, only 23 of those games, he had zero points. Um, and I think 40 out of those 95 games, he had, he had a multi-point game. Which is unheard of. When you is, have, like you got to wrap that around your head. That is just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy with how Panarin has been performing. He is currently uh, third on the all-time Rangers list for points in the first 100 games with the team. Training only Mark Messier and Yarame Yager. He still has five games to work on that. Uh, Messier had 137 points in 100 games. Yager, 133 in 100. And Artemi Panarin at the moment, 131 in 95 games. Yep. So he has five games left, and he's six points behind Marc Messier. Wow. Um, but, I mean, what else can we say about Panarin? Best free agent signing ever. It's not even close. I think the second best free agent signing in Rangers history has to be Gabrick. But Panarin is – like, Gabrick's nowhere near Panarin. I think – what I've seen the last two seasons of Artemi Panarin is the best single-player performance ever in my lifetime. I have a hard time putting him ahead of Jager, but I think considering how he's been playing and how easy he makes it look, um, I'm going to give the nod slightly to Panarin. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's unbelievable what he's doing. You know, Even when he has a bad game, he had a bad game against, was it the Capitals? Where he ended up with three, uh, three points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it? Had, was it? Yeah, I think he so. had a really, he had a really bad, he had bad game. He was, he was almost invisible the first two periods, and he ends up with three points anyway. It's ridiculous. And I, and I think that's a great point to just add on in regards to Panarin because if you remember him, like in the first couple weeks of the year when the Rangers were really, you know, up and down, just the structure wasn't there. They were trying to find their groove. A lot of things were going wrong. Bremen, in my mind, looked like he was a little behind, at least with his step. You know, he didn't look like that. He was fully ready. But even then, even while he had somewhat of a slow start just from the eye test, he was still putting up at least, you know, one to two points a game. Like, yeah. he's he is just naturally going to be one of those guys like the McDavid's, like the McKinnon's, like the Crosby's in the world, mm-hmm. where even on their off nights, you're still expected to at least get a point out of them. You know, and then they're going to have some games where they're just completely snake bin for whatever reason, get a bunch of shots on that or beautiful setups, yeah. and it just doesn't happen because you have a hot goaltender or something. So, yeah, yeah. absolute hats off to Bredman. He has been the face of this franchise since he landed here. And what do you what did you want to add on to that? The other player that really needs a shout out here, and, and he should be in the Norris conversation. It's not even it's not even oh, a debate. Hundred percent, Adam Fox. Um, we gave up two second round picks for this kid. Um, and I will say that it's probably one of Jeff Gordon's best trades, even though he was planning on signing with the Rangers a free agent anyway. doesn't matter. We got him a year early. He got used to playing on the Rangers, playing in the NHL, and now he's, in my opinion, a Norris finalist in his second full season in the NHL, second season. He, he, has- is, he is tied with, with uh, um, Victor Hedman in points. Um, and I don't understand how a guy like Drew Doughty gets votes, but Adam Fox doesn't. And 
I feel the biggest the biggest challenge for Adam Fox that he has to overcome is the stigma of him not being a top ten pick. If yeah. you look at guys like and we, and we talked about that plenty. I'm You're I'm right. a huge Kill McCarr fan. You know, he's one of the best young defensemen in the league and he's probably gonna win a Norris or two. Um he should be up there in the conversation, top five defenseman in the league this season, in my opinion. Uh, but he was a fourth overall pick, so he's going to get that recognition. Drew Doughty, second overall pick, is going to get that recognition. Victor Hedman, same, second overall pick. Quinn Hughes, uh, what, seventh or eighth overall pick in 2018. Um, um, he gets the recognition. You know, Sorry? Uh, Hughes was seventh, I believe. Yeah, and then Adam Boakvist was eighth. Okay. Yeah. Um, so um, he's going to get that recognition as a top 10 pick. But for Adam Fox being drafted 66 overall in the third round, he's going to have to win people over because he doesn't have that draft pedigree, unfortunately, that a lot of people look at. And other guys that, uh, another guy that had to overcome that, for instance, is John Klingberg, who, who really you know, came out of nowhere. And, and Roman Yossi was, I think, a second-round pick. He had to sort of prove himself a little bit more. But when you are a top 10 pick, you get you have a lot more leeway. You get a lot more of a leash by these these people that vote for these individual trophies. I've never been a, van, a fan of trophies that are based on voting because it's so oh, yeah. Um But Adam Fox should be in the conversation this year, and he's definitely going to be in the conversation next year. And I would be shocked if he doesn't win a Norris as a Ranger. He's... He's the best defenseman I've seen in a blue shirt since Brian Leach, and it's not even close. Yeah, and you're Adam right. Fox compared, if I right. have to compare Adam Fox to Ryan McDonough, it's not even close. Ryan McDonough had one stellar year, 2013-14. He was amazing. He was up there with the best in the league that year, but he didn't really build on that. And part of that is how this team was constructed and how this team was forced to play. Uh, but I think Adam Fox is going to be – a much better defenseman than Ryan McDonough as a Ranger. And this team is slowly coming together and it's just exciting to see. And we're finally getting to see players getting the minutes that they need to develop. You know, you see Capo Caco getting 14, 15 minutes, uh, uh, you know, Kraftsov in his debut, 10 minutes. I like where, where this team is headed now. And I'm happy at the turnaround, the team, upper management and the people behind the bench have made in the last couple of weeks. No, I agree with you. And I, it's interesting that you bring up Ryan McDonough because I think, you know, myself, I absolutely love Mack truck. And I thought that while maybe he wasn't the biggest vocal leader during his time as captain, um, I thought it was very fitting for him. You know, when you look at back of the Rangers playoff runs, you know, coming back in the capital series, all these different things just have always stood out to me about Mack truck. The trade made sense when it happened and everything. I'm so happy you won a Stanley Cup this past year. All, you know, hats off to him. Nothing wrong with Mac whatsoever. I always be a huge supporter of his, but you're right. Um, when he came to the Rangers, it was a little slow going and then he started to propel. Um, was a guy that we would have as a power play quarterback at times, but wasn't that kind of power play quarterback that they would then bring in a Keith Yandel and others. Guys that are more known for their offensive specialty versus Mac, who really is prioritizing, you know, get, being a stronghold in his own zone, blocking plenty of shots, similar to Girardi in a lot of aspects, but more of speed and was more two-way, more balanced. But Foxy, since he has taken the jump into the league with the Rangers, it has been a completely different story. You know, they're just two, they're two different players. Fox has been easily one of the best. I said this uh, when I look back on my rankings because I did a top 10 uh, defense 
defenseman rankings uh, last season, I had Adam Fox in my top 10. I believe I had him right at 10 for that matter, or I had him at nine. Uh, when you look at his numbers, when you look at his advanced statistics outside of his actual point production, he was a top player in the league. Defensively speaking, he was second in defense. I, I believe he was second or third, actually, in all among defensemen and takeaway giveaway ratio. He was a positive. He was, um, I believe he was a positive of like plus one or two, around 40 or so giveaway takeaways. So he was already stellar as it is. And this year, I'm sure the numbers back that up even more. You know, he's taking that next level. He's getting the credit he deserves and just taking advantage of the opportunities given to him now. As we said last week and weeks prior, not having Tony D in the way of getting more power play time as well. Looked a little slow at first on the power play, but Definitely is picking up. He's one of he's top five in the league in points on the power play with 18, I believe. He's second in the league. I think he might even throw out these numbers if I'm not mistaken on Twitter, or maybe it was just the Rangers um, stat page, but second in the league currently in assists. Um, I'm on defenseman with 28. He's just been stellar, or maybe he's first. Either way, he's just been phenomenal. I'm loving everything about Fox, and I'm loving to see these guys actually starting to grow here. And I think this is also another great segue, as long as you're fine, what to talk about, again, Vitaly Kratsov, because he's the man of the hour. Finally has debut yesterday. I was saying it feels like yesterday when I was watching, actually at a family friend's wedding on my phone for a second, the draft, trying to see who the Rangers are going to get ninth overall. They don't get Oliver Wallstrom. They get Vitaly Kratsov. I was luckily able to know a decent amount about him because I was watching plenty of scouting reports and reading articles on the draft coming up and who are guys sneaky that we could expect maybe in the top 10. He was one of them. So I was fine with that pick. I know a lot of Rangers fans weren't, but I think we're soon going to realize why this was a strong pick for the Rangers in the end, if we haven't already had just around 10 minutes or so of ice time, which is more because I believe you predicted right around eight um, or at least under eight on Twitter. So it's nice to see him get at least 10. The third line, again, didn't have too much going on. Hedo and Lafreniere, they didn't get all that much ice time. And it's something that we hope to see more going forward Mm -hmm. as when builds more comfortability with them, but I'm perfectly fine with that being a young kid line for now. Um, as much as I like Julian Gauthier and I believe he's deserving of game playing time, you can't put Kratzov on the fourth line. You just can't. Even if guys like Rooney and Blackwell are actually playing above expectations and decent, it's just not something you can do because you're going to forget about him at the end of the day. You know, Quinn always views the fourth line as the fourth line. A lot of times he just forgets about the guys, I feel like. So last thing you want to do is throw him there. But I thought he was fine. He had a couple shots on that. I think he had three shots on that, actually, and had some good good looks. Looked strong with his body. You can tell he was a little timid at first, just trying to get situated, but he also didn't really have any long shifts either. So it was hard for him to kind of get adjusted right away from what I saw, but I like him a lot. I've always been a huge fan of Vitaly, and I'm really excited to see how he's going to break out, if at all, with the Rangers in their final, how many games do they have left going on? They have, what, just under 20, it looks like. So um, there's time for him to grow. As long as he stays in the lineup, that's what matters to me. But what is the main takeaway that you had from Vitaly's debut, if anything? Um, oh, first of all, I was happy he got to play 10 minutes in a close game. Yes. Uh, when the game was 2-1 in the third, I didn't really – and this is this is because of how things progressed over the season. I didn't expect to see the Kravtsov line out there a lot, but they were out there, you know. They got their shifts in in the third period. Kravtsov was really close, really close to scoring the game winner with two minutes to go. Unbelievable save by um, – by Omar. Um, and I think he looked okay. He wasn't, he wasn't great. He, he still needs to adjust a little bit to the pace of the game. And that's the biggest adjustment. You know, I don't buy that. He has to get used to the smaller rink. Like Joe Micheletti said a couple of times during the game, which I like to correct here, by the way, um, 
because Joe McLeary kept talking about the bigger rinks in the KHL. Uh, a big portion of the rinks in the KHL are actually the same size as NHL rinks this season. Um, so it's not necessarily that he has to get used to the NHL rink size. It's that he has to get used to the way they play in the NHL. It's a little bit faster. It's a little bit more physical. It's a little bit more built on territory instead of possession. If you look at KHL teams, and this is a similar thing that Butchnevich had to get used to. When Butchnevich started in the NHL, if he got to the red line and there were no teammates with him, he would circle back, wait for his teammates to complete the, the line change, and then rush up the ice with them. Whereas in the NHL, we're sort of used to dumping the puck and then on the forecheck, putting pressure on your opponent. It's more, it's more like like football. It's more like the NFL, where you, if you if you don't get the ten yards on third down, you punt it away. Mm-hmm. You no, know? and dumping the puck for me is the equivalent of punting the ball in football. Can I can I expand on that for just one second? Because you're 100 sure. percent right. It's something that I've really never understood. Like you understand, you understand the premise behind dumping the puck to give you a good chance again into the offensive zone. But especially when you have guys where say there's a clear odd man rush or a three on two or something, and you're not at the end of your shift, and then you still just dump it around because in my mind it almost shows a lack of confidence or just the amount of muscle memory that these players have since they were little kids in Pee Wee. You know, it's something you're always taught, right? Because it's part of the game. But there's so many situations where I'm like, it really would have made sense for them to just break out and actually make a rush out of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like that they were at the dying seconds of their shift, you know? And I feel like there's some of the best players in the league that we see offensively are ones where you're not constantly seeing them dumping the puck like that. Yeah. They're always driving into the offensive zone. So you're right. I, it does kind of baffle me. I understand the reasoning, but I yeah. don't think it adds up nearly as much as what it should on a game-by-game basis. No, and and I think I think the whole – Dumping the puck and putting pressure on the forecheck, the, the punting uh, tactic works a lot better on NHL rinks because traditionally, yes, they are smaller than European rinks. But now over the last couple of years, you've seen a change. Uh, the Finnish league has gone with a hybrid rink, which is a little bit wider than NHL rinks, but not Olympic, uh, Olympic-sized rinks. The KHL is going to North American-style rinks. And more and more countries are adopting these smaller ring sizes now. But the, um, you know, the thought process behind it for these European players is still the same. They don't dump the puck because traditionally in, on those larger rinks, putting pressure on the forecheck doesn't work. There's just too much ice to cover. You know, mm-hmm. So imagine playing football on a field that's twice uh, the width. How are you going to cover a punt? It's yeah, a lot harder true. to do when you only have 11 people, but your your field is a lot wider. It's a lot harder to do. So when you see these European players get to the NHL, they like their, their instincts are not to dump the puck. Their instincts are, oh, there's no one here with me. Let's circle back and let's rush up the ice when they finish their line change. And um, I saw Kravtsov do that a lot in 2019 when he played in the preseason. And that was, I think, one of Quinn's biggest criticisms. He wasn't executing the game plan that they had. And then he went to Hartford. It didn't really work out. He went back to Russia and then came back to Hartford. And now he played in the KHL full season. And I think the transition this time will be a little bit easier, both on and off the ice, because it's his second time coming over. Um, But he just needs to get used to 
you know, what's what's needed uh, in the NHL and what the coach wants. And Butchnevich is doing that a little bit more now than he did in 2016 when he made his NHL debut. But at the same time, I feel like it has become more of a routine for NHL players. And what you brought up, they do they dump the puck even when they shouldn't. You know, when when you have a clear opportunity to to rush to the net and get a scoring opportunity, sometimes you see these players still dumping the puck and going for a line change. It's become a habit and not um, not uh, like like a a thought out decision to dump the puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's a debate we can have another day because I can talk about that for forty five minutes. Yeah, but. Kravtsov in his debut, um, in in possession, he looked he looked really good. I think defensively, he looked a tad slow, but you know it is it is a higher pace than the KHL, and he just has to get used to it. Nothing nothing to worry about. But he wasn't a liability in his NHL debut, which for a twenty one year old kid, I think is is huge. Um, at the end of the day, I just want him to get a couple of games in this season. I don't expect him to score like ten goals and get five assists. If he gets 10 points in the final 20 games, that's like a half a point per game pace. That would be huge. I'm not even expecting that. But I just wanted to get a couple of goals in, um, you know, contribute a little bit on the score sheet and and get that confidence that he needs to to build on. Um, but yeah, this team is looking good, man. There's so many young kids now on this team in, in Fox and Miller and Lindgren and Hedl and Kako, Lafreniere, uh, Kravtsov, Gauthier, Julian Gauthier, we, we don't really talk about Julian Gauthier a lot as still a prospect, but he's a rookie. He's eligible for the Calder this year. You know, yeah, he's only- and just because he's been, you know, we know the story, but he's taken his dear sweet time. Originally drafted in the first round 2016, dominated the AHL, like couldn't ask more, for more from him at that level. It's just about putting it together now, and that's why I've been yeah. such a big advocate of his, so to get more ice time. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, one thing I want to point out here is that development isn't linear you know you cannot just you cannot just use a sheet and go okay this is how i want this player to develop because this other player developed this way it just doesn't work that way some players develop a little bit later some player have a higher development curve early on and then and then even out at, at a lower ceiling you never know where players going to end up in their development you never know how it's going to go there's also a lot of external factors to uh, to take into to consideration here if you look at a guy like Sean Day that the Rangers drafted in 2016 in the third round, he was uh, granted exceptional status in the yes, OHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 years old, was allowed into the league. Um, and then he had some issues going on. I think his brother ended up in, in prison. Yes, yeah. It's it's a, it's a it's an unbelievably unfortunate story yes. where it's like yeah, kind of what could have been, you know? It is really unfortunate. And, and you know, if – if you're going to make make a movie about the life of a hockey player, I think Sean Day's life would be a lot more interesting than Sidney Crosby's. But yeah, if you look at given the hardships and, and you know how all the previous expectation, you know, because again, exceptional status. If you look at all the guys that have been given exceptional status, none of them, for the most part, are yeah. not well known in the NHL. To put it lightly, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, the first couple were really good, like John Tavares, uh, uh, Aaron Eckblad, Sidney <laughs> Crosby. And then you got guys like Sean Day and Joe Joe Valeno, who's not a bad player, but nowhere near Tavares or, or McDavid. Um, but if you look at Sean Day, you know, his his ceiling at age 15, 16 was huge. He was in the conversation to be a top three pick. And then some external factors happen, and that that 
that changes the development curve of a player. You know, external factors matter and, and not everyone deals with adversity the same way. Some players just brush it off and and become all-time great. You know, they, they use it to fuel their desire to get to the top and others cannot let go of those burdens. So to expect players to develop at the same rate every time is just unfair. It, it just takes a little bit more time for some players. And a guy like Adam Fox comes into the league at age 21 is a little bit different than a guy like Kapo Kako coming into the league at age 18, coming over from Finland, adjusting to life in a new country where he barely speaks the language. He doesn't know anything. You know, they're put up with billet families, which helps a little bit, but it doesn't really take every concern away. Mm-hmm. Um, you never really know what's 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 going through a prospect's mind. And and looking at Julian Gauthier, he's 22. Maybe it takes him a, another year or two to get to where he can actually be a top six player. You know, you never know how long it's going to take. Uh, Chris Kreider, we remember Chris Kreider in 2012 in the playoffs. Kreider, that was, yes, yes. I, that's what I literally fell in love with him from, yeah, from day that one. Was, yep. That was three years after he was drafted. So he was 21 years old. Then he had a he had a great postseason with the Rangers, and then the following season, uh, which was the shortened season because of the lockout, he was struggling in the NHL a little bit, and he was sent down to Hartford, or as they were known then, the Connecticut Will. Yep. Um, and he was really struggling to put things together in his second season. And he came up in 2013-14, the year that we made the Cup run, and he was just a different player. By the time by that time, he was already 22, 23 years old. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe Julian Gauthier will will hit the ground running next season or the year after that when he's 22, 23, 24 years old. Um, yeah. having, well, him, having him as part of the young core and, and having some other kids, you know, knocking on the door now with Nils Lundqvist and, and Braden Schneider and Matthew Robertson and Zach Jones, who had an amazing year in college. Oh, man, this is such an exciting rebuild. I'm I'm ready for 2024-25 when we are <laughs> going to be dominating the league. Yeah, let's speed it up. All right, let's get to the fun stuff, shall we? <laughs> but at the same time, it, it is important to pay attention to these building years and actually knowing what you have and just being a part of, you know, it almost feels like I know that you've said how personal of attachment you've gone to either Niels or Kratzov or these other players, not just because of the personal interactions you've had, but just following them since day one. We're talking before even these guys are drafted with a lot of them. I've experienced that as I've been following hockey more and more and actually doing my own content and things. And it's such a great feeling. And I think once we actually get to the point of this rebuild kind of being over and consistent playoff and eventually cup contenders, it's going to just be, but it's going to be so it's not even bittersweet. It's just such a great feeling knowing that you've been a part of this since day one. It feels like you're right along that ride with them because you really are. And that's what being a fan is all about at the end of the day, making sure that you're with them through their highs and their lows and everything in between. Um, but I want to expand a little bit further here on, you know, Kratzov and Julian Gauthier um, and their utilization going forward. Because if you look at Gauthier, is he going to be protect- protected because he is not um, a he is not uh, disqualified, if you will, from being picked up in the expansion draft uh, coming up after this season. So what is your stance on Gauthier? Do you think that he will be protected by an issue now that guys like Lemieux are gone now and some others? Or do you think that there's still some uncertainty there? Because my only concern really with Gauthier is I want him to be getting steadily third-line minutes. And when you look at this current roster construction, you simply can't do it with Vitaly in the mix now, which yeah. I understand, rightfully yeah. so. But how does a future outlook present itself with Gauthier with this club unless 
Quinn really starts to roll the all four lines well. But at that point, it's like, okay, what is your fourth line going to be? Maybe in a year do we have, if it's not, say, Blackwell, maybe a, a more Morgan Barron, if you will, or some of the youngsters that we have in the AHL step up. And you actually mm-hmm. get a pretty consistent one through four. But when you look at history and with the Rangers and the NHL, normally your fourth line is just not as utilized to the same extent as your third line. You know, it just, it isn't natural in today's game, unfortunately, when it should be, in my opinion. So what's your stance on all that? Yeah, I think it depends on how your fourth line is constructed. If your fourth line is constructed like the Islanders do, with guys like Clutterbuck and Komarov and and Sizikas and Martin, then your fourth line has one purpose. You know, your fourth line is there to provide a spark, to bring some energy. And yeah, this season, Martin has been potting some goals, which is surprising. But then again, the Islanders are one of the top teams in the league. As much as it pains Ranger fans to admit it, they are this season. Um, Or you can have the fourth line that the Rangers had in 2014 when we made it all the way to the final. Mm -hmm. Our fourth line that season was Brian Boyle, Dominic Moore, and Derek Dorsett. It wasn't just a high-energy line. It was also a a skilled line. You can have a skilled fourth line. And if you have a skilled fourth line, it gives you so much more depth. I wouldn't be opposed to having a fourth line where Rooney is the center, Gauthier plays on the right, and Morgan Barron or Justin Richards or maybe Patrick Kodorenko makes a push, uh, replaces Colin Blackwell on on that fourth line, or maybe one of them... Uh, play center and Rooney uh, switches to the left. You know, the Rangers have options and Julian Gauthier, I think is going to be protected because he holds more value on the trade market than, than Colin Blackwell or Kevin Rooney. Um, I think that's why he will be protected. And even if they don't want him long-term, you still protect him in the expansion draft because you can get something for him in a trade afterwards. Because the trade deadline is probably going to be a little bit of a dud in the final few uh, days leading up to the trade deadline because of the expansion draft. It really it really changed the way general managers look at, at trading players because they got burned four years ago. Uh, a lot of people say that the Vegas Golden Knights were handed a, a cup contending team by the league. They were handed the cup contending team, but it wasn't by the league. It was by general managers making stupid decisions. You know, when the Anaheim Ducks are, are giving away Shea Theodore so they can so they can keep Josh Manson, you cannot really blame Gary Bettman for that. You know, yeah. general managers were put in a position where they knew two, three years ahead of time what the expansion draft rules were, how many players they could protect and what the what the requirements were. They knew two, three years in advance and they still got burned. You know, the Florida Panthers gave them Jonathan so if they would pick uh, uh, Riley Smith. All of a sudden, that, that's like two-thirds of your top line in, in your first year where you make it all the way to the cup final. Yeah. So, yeah, the biggest Golden Knights showed what you can do. And, and general managers are going to be a little hesitant, I think, uh, at the trade deadline next week. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is how I, how I see it. Um and a guy like Julian Goche will probably be protected and maybe traded in the summer for a better return because there's not this expansion draft looming that handcuffs general managers anymore. Um, or they keep Julian Goche and they go with a more skilled line. The way they played yesterday, um, I think, was the, the ice time was was divided pretty, pretty, pretty good between the third and fourth line. 
Um, the lowest time on ice, like we said, was Vitaly Kravtsov at even strength, 10 minutes. I think you can do that for a couple of games and just see where things go. Um, what I am, what I was worried about at first is that we're going back to a fourth line that has Brendan Lemieux and then Brett Howden and then some some enforcer or something. But it looks like those days are behind us now. I hope they go with a skilled fourth line that plays 9, 10, 11 minutes with third line playing 9, 10, 11 minutes and then have the top six play the bulk of the other minutes. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that you're right. Fourth line construction will probably be the biggest thing. So I'm very curious to see how the Rangers are going to go about that. Because again, Goche is a guy that I think that there still is plenty of potential there. We've been seeing the flashes. It's been more relevant lately than um, earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, give him the security. Continue throwing him out there. Give him at least 10 minutes a night and just see how he does. We're seeing the speed. We're seeing the playmaking. And he just is a monster. He's a horse on that puck. And I really think that you have all the raw tools. Now it's just a matter of gaining that experience to really put it all together still. So keep an eye out for He's been a really good player since he came back from a healthy scratch. He's no, been, you're, you're right. He's been a good possession player. He's driving offense. He's drawing penalties. He's doing everything that's expected of him. Yeah, and he's and he absolutely deserves, in my opinion, to stay with this club for the foreseeable future. You know, as long as no one full on beats him for a spot as another younger player, right? So, Gauthier, keep an eye on him. I hope that the future is in his favor with the New York Rangers. But now let's get on here to the upcoming weeks of game week of games for the Rangers because they have a fairly tough schedule. You know, now when we look at their current construction in the standings, they're just four points out of a playoff spot, so two wins. They're tied with the Flyers right out of the playoff spot. The Bruins currently have 44 points at the time recording this. So upcoming week is not going to fare the Rangers well, but hopefully that they try to take the most advantage out of it possible. If you look at them, they're going to be facing off Tuesday against the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that has had the upper hand on the Rangers this season, which is frustrating because a lot of those games could have really went either way, and the Rangers just fell short earlier in the year. Uh, then you get the Penguins again. Both games are at home on Thursday. And then they have a back-to-back. Then they, they are off to the Island to face off against the Islanders. And then again against the Islanders away on Sunday. So um, just to give you guys a heads up, um, I'm assuming as long as it's fine with you, we'll probably have to record next episode if possible, maybe on Saturday, just because I'm going to be out of town Sunday for like basically um, a good portion of the week. So I think it'd be best if we record Saturday. So let's talk about those three games in particular, excluding the Sunday game against the Islanders. So what would your next three game prediction be? Um, Well, first of all, have you seen how many Tuesday games we have in April? A lot. (laughs) It looks like a lot. Every single Tuesday. (laughs) We play every single Tuesday in April, which, uh, yeah, makes me happy because, and again, I might be completely off here, but, you know how people always talk about Kako Tuesday, hashtag Kako Tuesday, which is a wordplay yep. on Kako Tuesday. I looked it up. Kako has scored 15 goals in the NHL, and six of those 15, so 40%, have been scored on Tuesday. <laughs> so awesome. with four Tuesday games coming up in April, you know, let's see how many he can pot. Um, That's a guaranteed four goals, right? That's how I'm it, has to, it has to be, yes. yes. <laughs> Maybe in order to make it five in four games. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but uh, – Two games against the Penguins. The Penguins are still a better team than the Rangers. If they can, if they can come away with two points there, either two overtime losses or a win, that will be huge. Um, Islanders, Islanders are tough to predict. Um, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna beat the Islanders, and I think they're gonna come away with a with a point uh, out of the two games against the Penguins. Um. So I'm going to go one, one, and one. Okay. 
All right, th- those are good picks. I um, I tend, I honestly, I tend to agree with you. I'm going to stay with one, one, and one, two. I know that it's fun to have things different, but I, I feel, I feel right along those lines. Or you know what? I don't want to just say one and two. Uh, I'm going one and one, one and one. That was kind of my thought process going into it. So next episode will probably be, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll try to record for Saturday and have that out maybe either Saturday evening or next Sunday earlier in the day before the game. So that way there's plenty of time out. So that's the only reason why we're not doing it on Sunday or Monday next week. But um, yeah, no, I, I agree with those predictions. Hopefully it's a positive week for the Rangers. And look, if they go above 500 for the next three to four games, that could be a game changer. We could find themselves in a playoff spot before we know it. Um, it's really up to them how much they're prioritizing this playoff push and how much they're prioritizing this player development. I think if you can do both, fantastic. Just don't make it black and white is all I ask. Let's get it gray. Let's get it in the middle. Let's not make a clear cut one way or the other. Let's just have a nice blend. That's the best way for this team to succeed, in my opinion. I think you would agree. So any final thoughts here before we close out, Stephen? Um, yeah, uh, on the prospect front, um, there was a change. Hunter Skinner signed uh, an ATO with the uh, Hartford Wolfpack and yep. an level contract with the Rangers. So congratulations to Hunter Skinner. Um, I fully deserved, uh, after the, the stellar season he's had in the ECHL, where he shattered records that have stood for decades, um, made his AHL debut and got an assist on uh, Ty Ronning's goal. Um, Who has actually been performing really well. Ronnie has had a good season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, short, short guy, but you know, maybe one day he'll make his NHL debut. I hope so. Uh, spoke to spoke to Ty Ronning a couple of times. <laughs> it's just fun talking to these prospects and hearing their perspective on you know what they expect from their careers. Uh, but yeah, Hunter Skinner starting his AHL uh, career on an ATO. He's gonna start his uh, as as a pro, getting paid for it next season. Um, Braden Schneider, of course, uh, a couple of weeks ago signed his contract, so he'll be in in Hartford. The blue line in Hartford next season is going to be tough. To it's going to be tough to play against. You know, you have on the right side Bre- uh, Braden Schneider and, and Hunter Skinner. On the left side, you have Matthew Robertson, who's a who's a huge, huge, large workhorse. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun next season. Um, yeah, and other than that, um, Zach Jones. Made it to the Frozen Four with UMass. Um, so I think they're playing again on Tuesday, but I have to check the exact schedule. Yeah, he's uh, had a phenomenal season with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, prospect prospect scheduling is dying down a little bit, you know, uh, until the playoffs pick up in Sweden. Um, but seeing these kids, you know, making their, their debuts in the AHL and Zach Jones going all the way to the Frozen Four, yeah, exciting last couple of weeks of the season. No, 100%. I'm really looking forward to them. Uh, Zach Jones, we've talked about plenty, but he's one of my favorite prospects on this club, and it really has been since they drafted him. Um, I think he's really going to be a sneaky pickup in the end for the Rangers as long as he stays with this organization. Can I say one final thing before we wrap it up? It, it's, our, it's our podcast. Say whatever you want. Ryan Strom. Ryan, that's it. That's it. That's the tweet. Ryan Strom. Look, look, I, I'm going to say a lot of people have been have been complaining about him for three years, and every time it was something different, it was either his shooting percentage was too high or he was playing with Panarin, and he was playing without Panarin, but he was playing with Kreider, who then scored two hat-tricks. Yeah, maybe Kreider scored two hat-tricks because he was set up by Ryan Strom. Uh, Ryan Strom, until last night, led the team in points 
You know, he's been a solid player this season. He's on pace for over 70 points in an 82-game season. The more I think about it, and this is going to be my bold prediction, the more I think about it, I think in two, three years, we're still going to have Zibanejad, Strom, and Hedl down the middle. That is a bold prediction. I mean, we'll see. You know, for all we know, the Rangers might acquire a guy by the name of Jack Eichel this offseason. So if they don't do that... You know, we'll see. I like I like it. You'd rather stay confident with your current club. That's a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. That, that means that things are going right for them. But Strom... If they broken, don't fix it. Yep, you're right. And Strom has been fantastic. You know, I got to say, give credit where credit's due. Um, that's all I can say. Stromer is really impressing me, improving everybody wrong. And same thing with David Quinn and everyone with this club. That's all we ever hope for as Ranger fans, that if you have a critic here or there, you just want to be proved. We want to be proven wrong. The last thing we want to do is be continuously annoyed or bothered by this certain player, or this certain coach. So by all means, Strom, continue to do what you're doing because you're definitely turning the heads of many of us Ranger fans and is not getting overlooked, in my opinion. So yep. hats off to him, and I can cont- I hope that he continues the streak because uh, when you think of the best second uh, number two centers the Rangers have had the past two decades, you know, no one really stands out to me other than Derek Broussard. And Broussard's career season, I don't even believe he hit 60 points, did he? Or maybe he was just over 60. 58 or 59, maybe? I believe it was right around what Strom did last year because Strom had 59 points. So, yeah, I mean, like, again, if you just look at that trade out, everything led to that point with Ryan Spooner. It just, it's crazy knowing that um, the Rangers finally are having depth at the center position. The main great that we still have is face-offs with them for sure, but it it feels good. Um, Hopefully everything else rounds itself out because – when you look at the previous uh, decade or so of this Rangers team having these deep playoff runs, one of their main issues outside of having that number one go-to guy offensively was having a number one center. Not a shot at Derek Stepan, not a shot at all these guys, but there's a there's a comfortable difference now with Mika and Strom. I mean, going from Christensen and, and, and aging Brad Richards and Stepan and Brassard to now Having Zabanajad on your top line and then Ryan Strom behind it, yeah, that's great. And and the last thing I want to say about Strom, every time I, I see Ryan Strom, I cannot help but think of Sam Gagne. Sam Gagne, uh, uh, maybe in the uh, maybe in the no, no, I'm going to tell you why it has, nothing, it has nothing to do with on the ice, but um, uh, the Edmonton Oilers had Sam Gagne and Jordan Eberle on their team. Yes, they did. Then they let Sam Gagne when they had them. Then they let Sam Gagne go. Yep. Then they traded Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. Ah, I see what you're doing. Then they traded Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner, and then they traded Ryan Spooner for Sam Gagne. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) – that's I know. Look, uh, Peter Shirelli, that's a different – that's just a fun topic for another day, like seriously. But, no, you're right. You're 100% right. Never forget Sam Gagne's, what was it, eight-point game against Edmonton? All right, I'm being honest. Four goals, four assists, I think. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Getting, I'm getting on a tangent now. We got to stop. We got to stop. But Ryan Strom, thank yeah. you, Ryan. Appreciate you. And thank you all so much, Rangers fans, for checking out today's episode. I hope you did enjoy. Let us know your thoughts as always. And, Stephen, let's go, Rangers. Let's go, Rangers.